0: Hey, this is Matt. Today I talked to Christian Ray Flores, a man with a fantastic biography. He moved around the world before settling in uh, the Soviet Union and becoming one of the very first R&B musicians in the country and eventually made a big splash, particularly uh, in the early Yeltsin years. I
1: never thought I would get into the Bolshoi. It was impossible. It's impossible to yeah. to shoot um, in the Bolshoi. Yeah. There's no way. And I just I just wrote a script, just went home after a Black ride. book, wrote a script in about four hours send it to some friends like I asked a former Bolshoi dancer hey do you have anyone she goes actually the Prima currently the Prima I know her she's a friend of mine and I said would you forward it to her so I forwarded to her to Mariana Ryzhkina and uh, and she responds she's like I love it I will choreograph it for you I'll let you shoot here and I'll give you dancers like just like that wow (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah it was pretty intense
2: you're listening to The Slavic Connection, brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin.
0: Hey listeners, you're listening to The Slavic Connection. This is your host, Matt. Today I have with us a incredible guest whose biography is worth delving into in its own right. Uh, we have with us Christian Ray Flores. Christian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I have to tell you, when I read your Wikipedia, first off, it's not often that we have guests who have a, a, Wikipedia, a Wikipedia page, page yeah. and I know that among certain people of our generation, it's kind of this sign of wow, you know, um, you know, it's like a you know a little bit of celebrity shock. But you know, it's it's just a fantastic story that you see there because you were born in the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. then you went to Chile, yes, then you had to leave Chile because of you know political events there, Pinochet and and, and whatnot. And then you eventually wind up in uh, Mozambique. Yes, and yeah, through Munich, Russia, Mozambique. So I mean, I guess my, before we kind of delve into that a little bit, my first question is what's your native language?
1: It was two, actually, I still have a piece of paper that my parents kept is very yellow now and and they had two columns spanish and russian oh wow of my first words
0: uh-huh and mm-hmm. in your you know i know in soviet passports it was a big deal where it said natsenalnist yes. in one of the places what is what do you have in that <laughs> what did you have actually, in that actually i
1: don't remember that's <laughs> a great question i don't remember because i had dual citizenship i had chilean russian uh, soviet citizenship and um, in the 80s I was I was graduating from high school and it was obviously obviously you would get drafted into the army yes. for two years, and um, at the time the Afghan war was at its most the worst, yeah. right? And um, they were, and they would send people with slightly darker complexion to Afghanistan more readily. Oh wow! And I was like, I would probably prefer not to go. Mm-hmm. You know, so my mom, you know, did some research and she basically realized she figured out that you can give up one of the citizenships and stay with a green card or something like wow. that. So I actually lost my Soviet citizenship, man. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: And was this before or after you went to Mozambique?
1: This was after, yeah.
0: After, yeah. Okay. So I came back to Russia
1: when I was 14 years old, okay. after Africa. So okay. I spent seven years in Africa before the age of yeah. 14.
0: And I'm curious what those years were like in, in Mozambique. Do you remember it well? Very well, and, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and and kind of what, what was the... What was the atmosphere like then because it, I mean, it's a very interesting time for that country right mm-hmm. because you had the portuguese leaving and then they were probably
1: they just left yeah yeah they just left maybe i think they left we came in 77 i think i believe yeah and uh they left in 76 so it was still very much and basically when they the portuguese left if you know a little bit of context uh, the colonial powers usually ran key industries universities things right. things like that right you know? And so when when there's, not only did they leave, but the, the, the incoming president who was left-leaning socialist, sort of, you have to sort of find the sugar daddy back then. You know, <laughs> right. who, who's going to give you some... Yeah, some whatever. economic goodies. Yeah, yeah some economic goody, goodies, some military help, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. So everybody had to find the sugar daddy. So Mozambique's sugar daddy was the Soviet Union. Yeah. So, and of course, the leader was Marxist type guy and so very idealistic but not very economically astute so let's right. put it that way i'm an economics major so i look at those things and i go oh that was dumb yeah you yeah. know and uh they they um so he basically gave the portuguese 24 hours to leave wow. which was foolish to the nth degree because the the economy just screeched to a halt right. so my we were part of the solution so we were part of the people that they were importing right expat types also communists my, my right. dad was a communist to help and it was right. almost like being a missionary a secular missionary like a right. non, non-faith missionary wow like a communist missionary mm-hmm. right so
0: and in that young age did you feel that mission or was that mainly kind of what your how your dad saw i was absolutely
1: or? immersed in it because i had they for some i don't know exactly why i don't uh-huh. know they answered that one but they brought a bunch of chileans uh-huh and from all over, and not just from the third world, but they were coming from, mean, from Canada, the US. I mean, sacrificing a lot, actually, yeah. quality of life wise and pay like big time. They didn't pay well, uh, it was missionary pay, right? And uh, it was really idealistic people coming in, professionals, professors, miners, engineers, my dad was an engineer. And uh, the uh, I remember because all of those people that were this Chilean expat colony in Mozambique, every single one of them, None of them were professional politicians. All of them were communists, sort of ideology wise. But every single one of them was imprisoned, tortured, and like majorly like traumatized by, right, the, by the previous regime. By the Pinochet regime. So I was needless to say, they're all politically charged. Yeah. So we have these all these heated discussions about justice and yeah, yeah. politics and yeah. fascism and yeah. in my home and yeah. all of my friends were I mean we were like second generation. Yeah. So I remember that very vividly. Yeah. That's fascinating.
0: And then you eventually wind up back in the Soviet Union and right you're trying <laughs> to get out of uh, service in Af- Afghanistan because that that's when it's right. That, that is, was brutal. Is, that is brutal worse Yeah. Worst. yeah. And so then, I guess, you know, when, when, where does music come into your story? Did it, it actually started in Mozambique? In, in Mozambique. Yeah. So
1: I went to this international school that was for sort of for expat kids. That's where I learned English. That's yeah. why my English is fairly good uh, for somebody, my, <laughs> you know, for somebody who sta- started, it's because I started early. Yeah. So they sent me well, the first year, actually, they sent me to mo- to local school. I think they wanted me to assimilate quickly. Uh-huh. So they just threw me in. Like wow. I spoke no Portuguese wow. and uh, they still practice corporal punishment there. Oh gosh. like, it was an African school. I took my yeah. kids there recently and showed them around and wow. into the classes. And then a year after that, so I learned Portuguese the first year. And then the year after they sent me to English school, to international school, and I had yeah. to learn two languages in two years, basically. Wow. So when I was there, my one of the locals, so it was, it was almost like a Chilean colony, right, diaspora. Uh, they had these folk group for Chilean kids Wow. And they taught us how to sing and do all kinds of Latin songs, you know, yeah. Spanish, Latin American, Brazilian, whatever. And uh, so the, I got my taste there because I, apparently I had a good voice. So they put me, they had me do solos. Mm. So I got my taste of music there. And then in I sort of, I went to Russia and uh, as I was graduating high school, breakdancing was a big thing. Yeah. I started breakdancing. Wow. Yeah. And at the time in the Soviet Union, there was zero, almost zero of that. So it was almost like a... Like a sub, sub, subculture Wow, yeah There's just a few of us In the whole country And, you know And it was really controversial You know, that sort of thing Yeah,
0: yeah And that's fascinating And so I mean, I do know A bit about um, You know The the music in the late Soviet Union Uh and, you know, Boris Kribencikov and Makarevich Uh and these Kino and kind of the way that music, that kind of rock music played such a role in the Mm -hmm. kind of the revolutionary politics of the Mm -hmm. time. And so, you know, the question that kept coming up for me is like, so you're in that atmosphere, but you're in a very different genre. I am. Yeah. So I was like, I I like hip hop. So what was the, what was those effect of those kind of that? environment on you or those artists or i just
1: knew of them yeah and i would go to their shows and but i was more i, I was more into pop music and r&b oh, and yeah, hip-hop yeah. wow which actually eventually is now the big thing in russia yeah it's all hip-hop Oh, absolutely so yeah. but at the time no one did that yep. no one was into that it was just me and a few friends yeah and you know and that's pretty much it
0: and so you i mean you you definitely felt like you were kind of a fish swimming against the totally the current of that yeah yeah, yeah. Was, was there a point where you felt where you felt like um you know the r&b and these genres that you were interested in were kind of starting to catch on and yes. make it di- like kind of really make a splash so to speak yeah so it was really more of a hobby yeah
1: for me because i would i would sing and i would dance and i would break dance and we'd have these basically just house parties yeah. that's it like yeah. there's nothing else there was no clubs yeah. Oh, yeah you know at the time you know there was like one club called Moloko, and it was called Moloko, which means, means milk is on the Olympic village. This is Soviet time still pre-fall. And uh, they call, it was called Moloko because they'll give you, you pay two rubles, they'll give you a ticket and they'll give you a milkshake inside.
0: Oh, wow! And
1: this was the hub for all things new.
0: Wow.
1: So Grubin Shikov would sing there yeah. and pop people would sing there. And there was a breakdance day. Wow. And it was like the one place. It was like the, the, the bright spot on the on the dark horizon uh-huh. for us, at least, right? Yeah. That's how it looked like.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> uh, it, it's funny that it would be, it'd be in a place called Moloko because yeah. Moloko is like this motherly, yeah, kind of nurturing. Yeah. Uh, you think of like uh, yeah. a traditional um, kind of approach, but no, it's where all this avant-garde stuff is taking yes. place.
1: Yes, so it's it very basically underground wow. stuff going on, and you know. But then, so what happened is, I was in those circles. It was very basically underground stuff. Uh-huh. And then when the fall happened, I graduated from college in 91 with an yeah. economics degree. And I yeah. sort of, all of my friends were going into banking and finance. Yeah. And yeah. I was yeah. like this juvenile guy who yeah. still wanted to do music, you yeah. know? <laughs> and uh, and, um, and uh, I just felt there's something in me. It was like an instinct going, you know what? I could see the, the iron curtain coming down and all this massive information comes flowing in. Yeah. Especially musical inf- and yeah. cultural information, yeah. right? So it's just this flood of stuff. Right. Like everything is all of a sudden available, of course pirated. Yeah. But available. Yeah. Right? And it it sort of clicked that okay, I can do something that I did underground on the main stage. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, what if what if people like it?
0: So, so then after college, you kind of went into music full time and you were kind of de- mm-hmm. devoting yourself. I've, I, 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 I worked for about a year
1: in like international trade in yeah. this firm, this obscure, yeah. like shady. <laughs> I mean, everything was shady. <laughs> like everything. Everything was time, shady because yeah. there was nothing. It was, they were reinventing <laughs> yes, yes. sort of a new economy. The, the right? legal
0: status of this stuff. Yeah, I was
1: thinking it was shady. Yeah. So I was like in weird meetings about mining iron in <laughs> turkey and this multi-million dollar contract i'm just sitting there going who are these people in the room i don't know you know so it's just one of those very very shady uh, and so for a year i i did that but i think i was just a combination of i just loved music and I was a bit immature so i didn't think of the practical um implications of mm-hmm. trying a music starting a music right. career because it usually you know brings you to utter failure and disappointment
2: Yeah,
1: uh, but I was like hey I'll just give it a try you know yeah. and uh, so that's what I did and, and what happened is I started sort of pushing what I knew like I was immersed in that music that was completely no one listened to that mm-hmm. right R&B and, and, and hip hop no one listened to that at the time and um, so I was showing people you know these people I wanted to find an arranger a producer and I got into a music studio which was it was impossible at the time to record uh, at home Right. So you had to get into a, a studio. Studios are super expensive. And especially in Russia, no one had money. So I had this incident. Do you want me to go into detail? Into like weird detail or just sure, high no, level? Sure. No,
0: no, 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 just go.
1: You know how there's proper musical people and there's the entourage.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, people just who want to stick around but I was the entourage yeah okay so I was like this I could dance I could do some stuff but I wasn't doing anything specific but I was friends with all these people those entertainment people and so I was into this in this after party and uh and somebody comes over this guy you know comes over and goes you look pretty exotic and I looked exotic right I stand out (laughs) because of my latin look and uh uh, he goes you know do you do like anything I go yeah I I sing he goes okay well I have a studio and i was like oh my gosh this is crazy so i have a studio and you basically couldn't re- couldn't do anything if you didn't have access to a studio so this is my shot and he goes i have a studio if i gave you a shot at the student to record there who would write the songs and i would go i would write the songs and i've never written a song in my life at this time like i just answered answer because i need to get in the studio and it goes okay and who, who would do the you know who would do you have producers that go like but I don't have a producer but if you can find me one I can write the songs he goes okay so he this one producer who smoked too much weed couldn't pay attention didn't know anything about (laughs) R&B and I'm like this is not working out Uh so I went and find somebody found somebody else his name was Andre and he worked at this mafia restaurant like a night restaurant called night and day that entertained basically mafia people and he played covers Wow. and uh, he and, and I'm like dude I'm looking for a producer we're doing this new thing he goes what are we doing so I'm like showing him the CDs and tapes and stuff and he goes oh.
0: and, and this is what like American
1: yeah or? yeah like it was Bobby Brown and, yeah. and and you know it's just 90s 90s R&B basically yeah. voice to man Bobby Brown Whitney Houston yeah people like that you know Michael Jackson Prince. Yeah no Russian ever listened to that stuff
0: Uh you know were you kind of selling yourself like I want I want to put stuff of this genre in the Russian language and it's not being done it's a very obvious niche that could be yeah that's that's what
1: I was saying it's like this is the hot stuff and, and no one is no one knows how to do this but I do you know basically that was the idea like, I, I know how to dance. I know how to sing. I know how to sing this. I can write stuff like that. But can you make the beat? And right. he was like, oh, I don't know. I'll see. So that's, we basically rented an apartment and, and made beats all day long, trying to imitate some of the stuff. And,
0: and then, right. Then I guess it was the early 90s, because I listened to a few of your songs yeah. that were coming out from that period. And I guess the culmination was the, the Nasha song. Bacalina, yeah. Yeah, Nash right? Mm-hmm. Nasha right our generation you know we know we know a lot about like you know the the 80 that right 80s generation and the rock that brought down the Soviet Union but mm-hmm. I I there's also this other generation, I guess you could call it the... The post-rock. The, the, yeah, the post-rock. And it's maybe part of the same generation, but it's really a very separate... It is, yeah. A separate deal because, I mean, you're born in what, 74 or? I was born in
1: 1969. Yeah, so I was actually a little bit younger, just a little okay. bit younger, not that much younger from that
0: generation. Right. I just wasn't into rock. Right, And but then... Right, and in the 90s, when all this music is coming out, you, you there is kind of this um, oh, solidarity cute. with your generation. Well, and- as
1: a matter of fact, yeah. So, that's why I wrote this. So, there was a fest music festival called, called Generation, actually. Okay. Generation 92, Generation 93. Oh. And it was like the, one of the first talent shows, like, you know, almost like, you know, like, voice, you know, that type yeah, of stuff, yeah. right? So, they would tele- televise and there was a huge competition. So, I won one of them, 93. Uh-huh. I won that one in 93. But there was this whole sort of this whole generation of, of people doing music at that time that were my people, uh-huh. you know, like they were doing all this R&B and pop and hip hop. Yeah. So the, 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 the song generation, my generation was inspired by these people. It was not about us per se, but it was about us in the broader sense. As a matter of fact, most of those people who were innovating musically at the time are in the song. Mm-hmm. they recorded on the song yeah. so you can hear a little hip-hop bits and vocal bits from all these up-and-coming oh, uh, people wow. who were doing music cool. at the time and so yeah. the song was about that
0: yeah i saw that in the music video it's it's a it's a pretty cool cool video and yeah are, we're moving around there yeah, uh-huh. yeah.
1: Um, so it was about music but it was also about life right right so it, it ah. struck a vein
0: Yeah and and I was wondering, you know, at what point politics ever came into this for you or if you ever had a like when did you feel like your first mm-hmm. political leanings even arise because you're you're moving around That's the world a great and question. Then, yeah. um and then and then kind of your formative years are in the Soviet Union I'm just I'm just wondering if and when politics ever entered your, entered your music for the first time.
1: You know, the song, the song was, it was almost like in parallel, it's almost like parallel worlds, but they are reflecting each other. Mm-hmm. The song itself and the music, how, how it sort of came to be, it was not a political thing, it was a cultural statement. Right. But culture is obviously related to politics. Yes. You yes. know, the cultural shift happened because of the fall of the Soviet Union yeah. and this freedom that was just, and everybody was so optimistic. Yeah. It was just such a such a passionate yeah, everything that, is possible that, that
0: comes through very clearly yeah, yeah it's just
1: unbelievably cool yeah and it all died obviously in the, in the 2000s there were some obviously some huge downsides to the whole thing because of the messiness of it all right. but I the, the, the there's a parallel narrative here because I grew up immersed in this very communist ideology my 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 dad, my my parents, my friend, the, the my parents, they were all tortured for the cause, and and literally paid, physically, you know, exiled from their country, couldn't blacklisted and kicked out, all of that. So I, it was very real. It was actually more real for me than for the Soviets because they just existed in the Soviet stagnation. They were born, yeah. Yeah, they were. When I mean, there was nothing dramatic about yeah. where they were at, yeah. per se, yeah. You know, especially in the in the Brezhnev years and and, and after, yeah. Uh, but I also was an economics student. So I studied, you know, um, you know, economic theory. Yeah. And because I was studying economic theory and at the same time experienced the downside of the of the communist system, I actually developed pretty strong anti-communist
2: yeah. <laughs> convictions. Because <laughs>
1: yeah. I was immersed in it, going in the in the lack, in the mediocrity of it all, right. lack of opportunity. Yeah. It was just awful. It was wow. just it was so clear that it was a bankrupt ideology. Wow. to me. So it all actually fed into the music yeah. as well.
0: Um, and I think that's a fascinating segue to, you know, eventually the start of your American story yeah. because you, you wind up, you know, here in the United States. But before we get to that, I'm curious, you know, how, okay, so we, now going back as you were growing up, what, what was your kind of views and image of America? Because I think for a lot of Soviet citizens at the time, you know, there was kind of this... Idea, idealized image of America, mm-hmm. and there was such interest in the culture. When, when did you first become interested in the United States and, and through what? It was actually early on because I was, uh, I, I, I'm not a typical Soviet.
1: Mm-hmm. See, I grew up in, in Mozambique, so at this exposure, I didn't have the, the, the wall, the cultural wall. So right. we were growing up in Mozambique, but we would watch South African television, which mm-hmm. was a Western leaning, and Swaziland, yeah. so it was another country <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: and so they, what they did is they basically replayed American sitcoms and so I ah. I watched things like Love Boat and Battlestar Galactica and all, <laughs> all these all these other 80s yeah. Yeah. shows and and um, so I had access to this culture early on and I would have music access to music early on so for me yeah I loved America and of course I spoke English, so I didn't have the, 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 the language barriers. So I would read a lot and, mm-hmm. and I'm an avid reader and I, I would read, even for show business, what helped me is that I, I would read showbiz books about mm-hmm. the business
2: mm.
1: who produced. The, I, I could say this person produced this album wow, and this label did wow, this and wow. this. These are the people who, who, who create new music these days and they work with this artist and this artist and this. Artist. Most Russians had no idea of any of those things at all. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was very much into yeah. it because I had the language access and the cultural access. Right,
0: and that did that did that lead to an, a desire early on for you to go to America at some point, or to I or not this, necessarily? Uh, not necessarily, because I had um, you know you
1: you know when I were already was on the peak of my showbiz career, I i had national influence yeah why would i go yeah to a place where nobody knows Knows or cares who i am you know (laughs) you know so that
0: was kind of my my yeah this is what my next question
1: yeah my next question is how did you do that? well i i happened to had i happened to um, fall in love and and marry an american and deb my wife deb i met her in la and we were at this big international christian conference for artists And there were performers from that, all over that, the world. Where, this is where you met. We met there. Okay. Yeah. So she was on the organizing side, and at the time she, she worked. I mean, I was. I went to two conferences in a row. They're two years apart, and she was working for MTV, VH1. So she was uh-huh. in the business as well. She's a theater major, and um, on the second conference we meet. We meet. She she's part of both, and um, and we fall in love very very quickly. It was like quick. You know, between meeting and, and married, it was ten months. Yeah. But she moved to moved to Russia wow. and she spent a few years there with wow. the, I mean we had our babies there and wow. everything so there was really had no we had no intention of going to stateside because of the had a career I had influence you know you know why why I mean I can do so much good here right. basically but then she, she had some health issues there with autoimmune autoimmune issues yeah. and we didn't realize we didn't foresee just how much the weather would affect her mm-hmm. And it was just getting worse and worse. And of course having <laughs> LA babies. LA person. Or- yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and we we had this aha moment where uh, after having our first baby, we, she was just depleted and was in a lot of pain. And we, uh, some friends of ours invited us to spend the summer in Spain
2: uh-huh.
1: where they had a villa. So we're there, we landed in, the, in Spain and spent a few weeks there. And it was amazing. And it was the change in, in her health yeah. was immediate. Yeah. And that's when I realized, okay, I can't look at like I can't look at the next twenty years and and imagine you suffering. Yeah. Where all we we can do is all we need to do is move to a warmer place.
0: And so you you mentioned that you met your wife at some faith related yeah um, it was event. A, yeah
1: it was in a Christian conference called the, it was called the Arts Media Sports World Tour or right. something like okay. that.
0: because yeah, I already asked where your fir- are yeah. from. What, what are the origins of kind of your first political mm-hmm. ideas? But and so now I'm obviously curious your your faith. Where, mm-hmm. When when what what are the origins of your faith and when did you?
1: So, so I was. Uh, um, I, be, I became a Christian in 95 in 95. Moscow wow and before that I literally I was into new age Eastern philosophy very much into like all kinds of very American actually you know yeah. that, in, <laughs> in that way yeah. I was exploring since I was like yeah. 18 or something like that yeah. so and so I was 25 when I came came to an evangelical Protestant church not Russian I in, knew about in Russia in Russia yeah, yeah. and in, in Russia like there the, like you would be Catholic if you're Mexican you're Eastern Orthodox, if you're in Russia, yes. so it's one of those things. It's a tradition more than a lifestyle. Yeah, you know, so so I went to a non-Russian, sort of non-orthodox, uh, uh, a church service, and I was just blown away because mm. it was so practical and life affirming Mm -hmm. it was not about ritual but about life change Mm -hmm. so and at the time i was like really depressed Mm -hmm. basically yeah and i was actually at the peak of my career and and really depressed which is sort of counterintuitive but it does happen actually um so that's how i yeah i became a christian two years later i started preaching and sort of i really i felt like i had the talent to communicate yeah so i started pastoring and doing that kind of work as well, ministry work.
0: And then it was kind of in this process of expanding Mm your Mm -hmm. horizons within the faith that you wound up in in LA and. and
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I did. Yeah. So we've been, we've led churches and and congregations in Moscow and Kiev. Wow. Oh, Kiev too. Yeah. Yeah. My, 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 my youngest daughter was born in Kiev. Oh wow. And so we led a big church there for a while. And then we traveled, we did a little bit of moving around trying to find our, sweet spot in the state side as uh-huh. well and everywhere we went we always do we always serve in in a church of yeah. some sort so we planted a church here in austin called tribe yeah uh, oh, like wait, six was years gonna, was six years all, ago all that in a second. yeah
0: mm-hmm. um so now i now that you've mentioned what do you like better moscow or Kiev? are you do you have a strong you know
1: path? i i it's like new york and la type yeah, of conversation yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i like moscow for the adrenaline and uh-huh. the excitement and yeah. it's beautiful and powerful and it's stressful and kiev is much more laid back yeah and uh sunny and warmer and milder mm-hmm. and people are much more chill and you know sense of humor and the whole thing so yeah
0: yeah and so right then you eventually wind up in the united states did you move to texas uh at first or- no
1: because at first we 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 actually i i worked with i've actually started serving the poor very early on in, in eastern Europe and Russia. When when I became a Christian, I sort of became very compassionate. (laughs) It sort of comes with the territory. Before that, I just cared about myself and that's it. But uh, we did a lot of programs with orphans in Russia. And uh, during one of those programs, actually, Michael Jackson showed up. We invited him and he actually came which was pretty crazy for me because I grew up like, this is is one of my inspirations, right? So it was a freaky, it was a freaky thing. So we would organize events for like four or 5,000 orphans in Moscow every year. Big, big events with sports and music and stuff like that. It was amazing and they looked forward to it all year. And one of them, Michael shows up and then I was supposed to perform uh, and he showed up, he showed up uh, and I was supposed to perform what he is there. Uh, and I was losing so like, <laughs> it. And uh, he left like 15 minutes before I was supposed uh, to perform. And I was actually relieved. Relieved, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, because I was like,
0: there's no <laughs> way I'm going to uh,
1: perform in front of Michael Jackson. It's yeah, just yeah, terrible, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, Terrifying. Uh, it's converse, t- yeah, it's yeah. just, no, no, it's almost like an insult in my mind, you know. Why would I do that? Why would I offend him with my inferior sort of music abilities mm-hmm. so so anyway so that's just i'm saying that to say that when we we had a history of of nonprofit work that we did a lot of mm-hmm. and then we when we moved stateside we sort of wanted to still be connected to the third world yeah so i took a job as latin america director for a big charity called hope worldwide wow and with them we worked in you know we worked in central south america but the the Sort of the headquarters was was in Philly, then we moved to Palm Beach, Florida. Then we moved to L.A. Christian,
0: you've been all over I know. The world, man. Yeah, you are a a world a traveler, professional ADD. That's I've what I call seen, it. Seen so we
1: hopefully we're we're here. You know, we're we're gonna be here for a while. We love Austin. Wow. I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: It, it means a lot. For, I think for a lot of us. Yeah, uh, it's my favorite place to hear that. You know, somebody love who's been everywhere. I've been everywhere. Loves Austin yes. as much as we do.
1: Oh, it's a, it's a very special place. Yeah.
0: I guess I wanted to ask then, you know, third drive. Yeah. When did it get started and kind of what was the motivation? And so
1: w- w- back to a professional ADD, right? So I, I've always tried, I've always wanted to do more than one thing. So even if I'm leading a church, I'm doing a, I have a business, right? Yeah. So, um, I had an. we had a company that we started in Los Angeles Uh, an entertainment company, but it was very niche. Mm -hmm. So we did basically Hollywood level production of music and music videos for Russian stars and Eastern European stars, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Uh, Combining both mine and Deb's sort of, you know, qualifications, let's put it that way. And um, so we moved, when we moved here to Austin, we moved because we wanted to plant a new church that was sort of new and interesting and connected and relational, you know, we had a dream to, Mm -hmm. to do something spiritually interesting and have a community here. And uh, so, but we could do that from anywhere because of our business. So we moved here with that business to support us. And then uh, things went south in Russia and the ruble got devalued and people started invading neighboring countries, you know, things that happened. So my market, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, nosedived. So we had to start over. So we closed that company started a new company called Third Drive, yeah. which is sort of using some of the same skill sets of marketing communication. So we do video, web design, and we added later. So it evolves from mostly a marketing agency to now a venture development company, which wow. is basically we raise capital for startups and we clean them up and help them with financial models and basically wow. the business model. Wow. So it's sort of more of a complete thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what Third Drive and so is. So is
0: Third Drive how related is it or not at all to your work as a pastor? That' the- uh,
1: it's 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 related in only in, in the sense that it's I mean it's it's just a business, but it, it's fueled by a certain ethic yeah, and a culture. sure. sure. Um, and um, so there's a lot of DNA, I think of faith DNA. We we work mostly with with companies that have some sort of profit and, and purpose, yeah. not just profit yeah. dimension. So there, there's definitely a big stamp of my faith onto the, on the business. And we partner with a lot of Christian businesses and investors. So there's a lot of ecosystem sort of,
0: you know, cross pollination. Cross pollination. Yeah. yeah. I I also watched your short film, uh, "Dance with Me." Oh,
1: "Dance with Me." Yeah.
0: I I thought it was very I was I thought it was very entertaining yeah. and it was b- beautifully shot. Also, yes. by the way, you know, when when did the idea get into your head and how did that go? So, "Dance
1: with Me" is basically it was just a it was just a creative you know expression i I had this idea i actually listened to a spoken word piece by this spoken word artist uh called amina brown Mm -hmm. and she has a piece called dance with him and she basically uh, is it's a piece about dancing with god and how you have to let god it's a dance and it's beautiful but you have to let him lead you in the dance and Mm -hmm. you have to trust you have to trust your partner right and i thought it was just the most inspiring thing and i thought what if we create something along those lines in a, in a I thought of a music video, right? And so I've made some dancers and some spoken stuff. And, and so I was on a bike ride with Deb, my wife, we go on these bike rides around our neighborhood. So I said, hey, I had this idea, what do you think? And she goes, well, why don't you just make it a short film? I'm like, well, whoa, you know, I didn't, I wasn't- I've never done that before. I wasn't, I wasn't looking to do that much work. And she goes, well, you're, we're going to Russia in about a month. You know, all these amazing ballet dancers in Russia, and you have production capabilities in Russia. Why don't you just do that? And I said, okay, that's more work than I expected, but okay. So she had more faith than I did. And I basically went home, wrote a script in about four hours, got on the phone, started finding people. And uh, it was like, you know, we self-funded, we, f- we paid for it ourselves out of pocket, mm-hmm. but most of it was donated. Wow. Just because people name recognition, yeah. you know, helps yeah, yeah, in, in yeah. those cases. So yeah. we got a full crew, film crew, gear all of it uh producers camera people like high high level people and then that um, that
0: comes through in the video
1: yeah you can tell right and then we uh you know and then we couldn't we couldn't find any dancers or actors And, and the thing is it's much easier to be a dancer and try to act than to be an actor and try to dance. Mm-hmm. Like, cause you know, yeah. it's, clear that, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's clear that you're not a dancer. Yeah, yeah. So I was looking for dancers. And yeah. uh, the people that I had in mind actually couldn't do it because some of them were touring in Europe and some of them uh-huh. weren't available. And um, so I was like running out of people. So through a friend who used to dance in the Bolshoi, I just like last minute, I said, look, I have the script. I'm going in a month. Do you have anyone? So she's like, well, as a matter of fact, um, one of my BFFs is the prima ballerina of the bull show. Her name is Mariana Ryskina. And I said,
0: best dancer possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm
1: like, okay, that helps. Can, would you mind yeah. forwarding this script? And she yeah. goes, okay, sure. So I forward the script and Mariana just writes back and says, this is the most inspiring thing ever. I will absolutely give you dancers. I will choreograph it for you and I will um, let you shoot in the Bolshoi Theater, which is impossible to to do actually. It doesn't get better than that. It does not get better than that. So yeah, so we ended up shooting it in like four days also. Yeah. It was crazy insane. And then then we needed a a soundtrack, so I wrote a song. Yeah. So as we were shooting, I wrote a song with a buddy of mine. Her name is, uh, his name is uh, um, Dima Nordman, who's an amazing songwriter and producer. And so I got in the studio and was like, Hey, I need a song like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And basically in an evening we wrote a song
0: in two languages, recorded it. <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> unbelievable. I mean it, the, 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 just the fact that this went so swimmingly um, th- does it make you think that you would maybe try to do something like this again or do something similar again now that you've got all these skills and it uh, uh, or was it just a lot of stress and a so lot of work. Stressful. Yeah. it is so much work yeah uh,
1: maybe yeah maybe yeah. maybe I, I mean it's really it's a, it's really a matter of how the stars align right yeah uh, yeah of course I can I can do it skill wise and everything and we actually had a great soundtrack by um, a composer in LA. Who, who wrote the the score it's very minimalistic sort of european style beautiful if you pay attention to it it's, it's fantastic stuff i just love doing doing things like that it's just a it, it's it's quite a quite an investment that's all you know and he, he made it into a bunch of film festivals and we actually had a premiere we had a screening here in at the elmo draft house no, full house wow. it was
2: that would beautiful be cool to see
1: yeah freedom, freedom.
0: You know the other question because I'm just getting ready to get into another thing that I saw, um, kind of from your biography. There's this Ascend Academy uh-huh. in, in Mozambique. Um, could, you, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So you know, when if you if you spend any
1: time in the third world, especially in in the sub-Saharan Africa sort of space, you see it a lot of extreme poverty. So obviously, I grew up there, and um, I just it never left me that that there's so much extreme poverty so much despair, especially for kids who basically don't, you, they don't have the opportunities basically. Right. So, you know, I had this idea because I've done a lot of non, non-profit work that, that of a different, slightly different model to what has been done. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure, I'm sure I'm not reinventing any, inventing anything, but it was more of an entrepreneurial spin on the after school academy idea, right? So the after school academy idea is to give people a place to go, kids a place to go. Usually they don't have complete families, usually dysfunctional families, um, and give them sort of a space where they can relearn about life and different scenarios, right? Mentorship, that sort of thing. And then with this this particular model, what we thought of: what if we do that that that? So it's like five days five days a week three, four hours a day, like fully immersed. So they go to school and then they go to the academy and that's their second home. Mm -hmm. And they can have three things. They can have character mentorship, like Christian mentorship from people who can say, look, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. You matter. Mm -hmm. God loves you. Mm -hmm. You have choices in life and we'll help you. Like no one says that to them Mm -hmm. in where they are, you know, Uh, they live on under $2 a day. Yep they are usually undernourished i mean there's just zero opportunity so if they have if you have someone telling you that every day i think that's going to change the that's way huge. you view the world yeah. right so the second one is communication so it's teaching them both proper portuguese and english that in itself is a very hireable skill and the third component is computer skills mm-hmm. and the reason we chose computer skills is because you know they can if kids learn computers really quickly like just it's a natural thing for them to learn so if we can get a bunch of nine to 10 year olds to learn the basics quickly and then spend another two, three, four years teaching them professional level stuff, literally they can be out of poverty. That's the big idea is for them to get out of poverty before they're out of high school. Yeah. So it's, they can go to college for sure, yeah. but that's not the point. The point is get them out of extreme poverty.
2: Yeah.
1: And the, why computer skills? Well, actually, because you can you can be mathematically inclined and use coding can be creatively inclined and use design. Yep. So you can choose anything from that range. And the one big problem in sub-Saharan Africa is that the local market limits you. There's huge massive unemployment stuff mm-hmm. like that. But if can, you have a computer skill and an internet connection, the world is your oyster. Yes. So the idea is that you can you remove all the boundaries for and if you're good, you can be competitive on the marketplace mm-hmm. so that, you can that makes be a freelancer online and -hmm. Uh, You can make more, way more than the average salary in your country, by age sixteen.
0: Is there this idea that you know people who have gone through the academy will want to stay in Mozambique, um, or is yeah? Because the big problem with a lot of the you know Mm -hmm. programs of this type, especially if they're focused on education, is Mm -hmm. is that you know people just use it as a social lift to get out of the of the country, and it
1: it could be well. I don't think you can control that, obviously, right? But I think we what we want to do is instill in these kids. A, a sense of a worldview that the world that people somebody cares about you yeah. and you need to care about yeah. somebody else. Yeah. So it could be, and the scenarios are they can stay and they can plug in as volunteers, they can stay and give work to uh-huh. other kids that come yeah. out of it, they can move on through academia, for example. Sure. I'm actually, I would love to have like my dream is to have one of those kids. I go, okay, here's a kid sitting on a dirt floor, age eight or nine in a hut. And then 10 years from now, here's a kid who's walking the UT campus. Yeah, yeah. That's my dream, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so, so there's more than one scenario, obviously, yeah. you know? And it, it's not all about staying in the same place, but you can stay connected to Like I left. Yeah. And, and here I am going to Mozambique every year.
0: Right, right.
2: Trying to
1: help.
0: Yeah, that, that's a, also a great segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you is, you've got so many projects and yes. so in all of these kind of organizations that you're working with uh, and all of these kind of various passions from music to mm-hmm. charity, to faith stuff, to business stuff. H- how do you organize your time and kind of set your priorities? Well, I think honestly,
1: and I think in my mind, the way to do it without losing your mind is to see it as one thing. Mm, okay. Because if you see it as separate things, you'll lose your mind. Okay. I yeah. think, you know, yeah. And I do lose my mind every once in a while. It's, tr- it's yeah, true, yeah. like I do. I mean, I ha- like all of us. Yeah. I have moments of complete and utter panic and being overwhelmed and anxious and stuff like that. So I have those, um, but in the long run, the way I view it is, as, is this is an integrated life. Yeah. You know, you have a f- faith is, a, is a, like a bedrock, a life-giving force. And then it rises and sort of penetrates and permeates your professional life but it doesn't can't stop a professional life for self. It needs to be a professional life that benefits others. From a from a scheduling yeah. <laughs> thing, it's much more complicated, right? Uh, but it does help to see it as one, right? Yes. And uh, I think for me, basically, what it is is, it's it's actually not. It, it's it's raising a flag and saying this is what can be. This is what can be done. Does that inspire you? If it inspires you, can you help us? Mm-hmm. And it's really more of a call to to arms for something right mm-hmm. and people sort of come, come out, of the, out of woodwork to plug in and you know in but in whatever capacity it could be finance it could be capital it could be all kinds of expertise and um even the the, the church itself i mean the tribe that we lead it i speak there i serve there i love these people but but the tribe takes care of itself it's mm-hmm. not a it's, it's not a service provider. Mm-hmm. This is an actual community Yeah, who people plug they, in right, in different itself. capacities. Yeah. Well,
0: we'll be sure to leave links to all of these organizations sure. um, uh, in the description because I think uh, the listeners will be fascinated um, yeah. to check, check this stuff out. So, how often do you get to Mozambique and to Russia, um, and and kind of how do you organize um, this international travel that you do? Because I, I think I, you said that you go to Russia about once a year, now also Mozambique, Mozambique about once a year. Yes. Well, the
1: way uh, I'm trying to figure it out. So, for example, last year we went to four countries in two months, and we concluded that's too much. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, and I think it's probably going to end up being three, four international trips a year anyway, mm-hmm. but it's how to batch them. That's sort of what I'm trying to solve. It's a puzzle that we're trying to f- figure out. Mm-hmm. So we have a couple of options. Like w- this year, I think we we actually might skip at least one international trip this year. Uh, but in general, here's my two options right now. Can I tell you this? I mean, it's not even a solution. I don't know if it's gonna- By be. all means. Mm-hmm. One solution is this, is like separating them enough so that it doesn't really interfere too much with the business work and the ministry yeah. work, right? The other, th- the other way to do it is to batch it somewhere in the summer. Uh-huh. So my, my idea is to have like a missions month. Okay. Missions slash whatever. Yeah. Right? And basically go to the Western Hemisphere or oh, to the Eastern Hemisphere. Yeah. Uh, is it Hemisphere South and North is well, Eastern? Yeah, I think. Uh, but you know what I mean. I, like get, that, I get what you mean. The, Eura- the, Eurasian, the Eurasian Africa landmass. That, mass. that yeah. timeline. Yes. That yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, sort of that time space. Th- those time zones, right? Time zones, exactly. <laughs> so to go, there and just hit like three or four countries yeah. and just stay there, so you're yeah. you're not jet lagged. Yeah, you know, exactly. Going back and forth. Yeah. So that's another way uh, to do
0: it. Yeah. I,
1: I don't know where we're going to land. And,
0: and so when you go back to Russia, what do you what do you do when, mainly when you go back to Russia? Like this most recent time, obviously when you were doing the the, the doing yes. the film, you were doing the film. But kind of more recently, um, I usually just um, is it just seeing old family and friends? It's and seeing and family and friends. My mom's still there, so
1: I see her. Um, I've just hundreds literally of yeah. people yeah. that I'm nev- I never get to see everybody I want yeah. to see unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah. that's one of the, the, probably the one thing I I really missed living in the States is this whole, it's like a layer of love, of relationships that I'm disconnected from. Mm-hmm. So I sort of keep up with people through Instagram and right, thank God right, for that. But right. it's not the same thing. Sure. You know? Um, so it, a lot of it had to do with just catching up with things. I usually do some sort of church related project, like a speaking engagement yeah. or a training thing. Yeah. And then some, a lot of the times I, I do some media stuff as well. Like the last time I went, I went on Dost, which is a the only independent uh, TV show, TV uh, station yep. remaining in Russia. Yeah. So I had an hour long interview there with wow. uh, Mikhail Kozarev, yes, who's sure. an old friend of mine actually, wow. who I've known forever. <laughs> you know? cool. Yeah. So so I would do one of those things. Uh, every once in a while, they ask. I mean, they uh-huh. still they asked me. Like last month, they asked me to be a judge on some sort of voice <laughs> oh, yeah. voice type type show uh, yeah. type show, and I said no. <laughs> so every once in a while, I'm I'm actually shocked that people still even remember who I am because it's been it's been what 16 years since I yeah. left 17 years. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have
0: to fish out that Doj interview and add it to the yeah as right well, yeah yeah. and so what, what what language do you actually speak with your mother russian yeah yeah uh-huh. okay so i speak
1: russian with mom spanish with dad
0: Okay. yeah
1: wow yeah uh, i use all four languages on a weekly basis
0: that that's really yeah because cool. i
1: want to call with mozambique I speak portuguese oh my so. gosh that's
0: unbelievable yeah <laughs> um and how often are you still doing music these days uh well i i every
1: once in a while i do a song at church okay because they ask me to uh maybe to throw me a bone mm-hmm. you know like okay come yeah, on, yeah, come yeah, on yeah. old man you could yeah do yeah it. yeah uh um and then i don't really record much sure. the last one i recorded was with the, dance with me yeah and the reason for that is because i it's it's probably dumb because i when you're used to spending whatever five thousand dollars on a on a on a on the a studio and then another 20 30 on a music video to do it well If you don't do it for a living anymore, it's not really money you want to drop on music. Mm -hmm. But then also you don't know how to do it any other way, Mm -hmm. you know, because it it seems amateurish. Yeah. So that's my barrier. Like it's probably
0: just a barrier. Yeah. But I'm like, "Ah, I can't do it. You know. know, Yeah. In in terms of, do you still like? Do you listen to contemporary R and B or particular genres or so? Like, what kind of stuff do you? I'm all over the place. Like
1: I I think a a big a big. a big collection of music that I don't overlap with anybody is international sort of I listen to flamenco to brazilian music to latin music to yeah, open, sure. you know that sort of thing um, and then and then I do a lot I used to listen to a lot of pop and uh-huh. AMB still and then with that I overlap with my kids yeah. so we, we jam to the same tunes uh-huh. and, uh, you know and and uh, so we we overlap a lot and the, actually modern kids are amazing because I thought, for example, when I was growing up, the Beatles were sort of the old timer type stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I would categorize as, ah, eh, this is just the Beatles, whatever, you know, my dad mm-hmm. listened to it. Or, uh, but modern kids are much more well-versed mm-hmm. and they love uh, sort of vintage music. They just love it. And mm-hmm. they know it word for word. Many, many things that I grew up on, my kids can, can quote and sing. Wow. Yeah, like I put on, you know, uh, No Diggity, by Blackstreet and they can rap the whole thing,
0: which makes me believe I'm a good father. Wow. Them well. <laughs> that, that's funny. I mean, did you turn the, turn them on to it specifically, the genre? I, I don't or they think just so. I think it's like Spotify or something. Yeah, I mean, it's all your fingertips, all, all the Probably, all yeah, music. like, yeah. It's,
1: it's crazy, but they yeah. love this stuff. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it, They're better than I am.
0: Do you, have your kids ever, do they ever come with you to Russia or to Mozambique here? Mm-hmm. Yes, they have. Wow. Last year we, we
1: took over, uh, two of our, our three, uh, to Mozambique wow mm-hmm. cool. so I walked them to the house I grew up in the whole the school that oh, I grew up you know they came into the classroom and, and everything do,
0: do you ever you know what's so fascinating to me about that is like do you do you kind of just do you, do you kind of just let them take it in when you're with them or do you really try to get them to imagine what it was like when you I were I do there yeah I tell yeah. them the
1: stories yeah you know? that's so, great yeah, yeah like well I went I took them to my school like the first one the African school the one that I spent a year and still sort of it's actually in worse shape now than it used to be mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, I got in a fight right under this tree. Can you imagine, you know, so I would tell him all these, all these details. (laughs)
0: question maybe i need to formulate it a little better because it might be kind of a difficult question to answer but you know this podcast and i think a lot of people in our department um you know we're so fascinated by things going on in eastern europe and in russia and we're always looking for ways to kind of um, improve citizen diplomacy and really kind of create Um, intercultural opportunities, international opportunities between, you know, our university and our state and our country and, you know, a country like russia as somebody who has had such experience with you know going to mozambique and kind of setting something like this up and then obviously you know being from russia and coming here and then now going back to russia to kind of create these projects are there any just kind of pieces of general advice maybe just at least about your mindset creating this kind of inter international communication and these kinds of projects
1: well uh, you know i I would say this i would say um not believing in propaganda is probably a good thing yeah on either side sure you know uh because people are people you know people just people connect with people yeah if you're if you are a generous human being people respond to that that's a universal value Mm -hmm. you know and uh i think that really really helps and you know my wife deb she grew up i mean she's from wisconsin she had a bit of an international background because she went to sao paulo so that i think made her open Mm -hmm. she spent a year in brazil an exchange that made her open to living somewhere else Mm -hmm. but she just loves russia and she just she misses russia and Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason is people yeah you know you get to you get to know people you start loving people and that's pretty much it that's the connection point
2: yeah
0: I mean, where do you, where do you feel like you see your endeavors headed? Do you have any new kind of projects that you're kicking around in your head? Or are you mainly just focused on, you know, kind of carrying through the projects you have, you have now with Ascend Academy, and, you know?
1: Well, the Ascend Academy is definitely a long term, like I want to see, like I really want to see that kid walking, yeah. walking the yeah. UT campus, yeah. you know? That's sort of my bucket, but it takes so much, you know, money and time and work and dedication. So I want to see that one do well in the long run. And then, um, I think with the church, it's just, I'm just, this is my, my spiritual household this tribe. So I'm in tribe and that's sort of permanent. There's a permanence to it, Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it evolves, it changes, but I just love being there. It's my best, it's the best sort of church experience I've had so far in my life right Mm -hmm. so I just love I treasure it and then with Third Drive it's probably the one thing that keeps spitting out new projects because Third Drive is basically a venture development company so we launch like two or three companies a year Mm -hmm. uh, on average uh, that are spin out Mm -hmm. so that's that's a constantly um, that's a source of excitement and, and innovation and you know we're launching two companies right now as we speak that are really, really cool companies You know, have in the sports In the sports area One is called Excite And it's basically um, a Media, multimedia for big events uh, So, in, and gamification For like engaging people That want to interact with sponsors Sponsors want to engage people So they give them games to play with And yes, win stuff yes, yes. So it's that kind of thing And yeah. then big sort of graphic Multimedia stuff And we have like uh, A th- you know a third of the of the professional teams already signed up for that one it's it's wow. going to be a cool project wow. i think
0: one one more question that actually just came to mind is you know you you brought up your kids and about how you know they're going they on their kind of on their own accord mm. through spotify and youtube and whoever you know whatever methods um, are going back and really have this appreciation and can find a lot of this old, um, old in parentheses, you know, music. Are you at all aware about where your music fits in kind of in um, the development of genres like you know, rap mm-hmm. and uh, and contemporary Russian uh, pop? And are you are you conscious of how your mark, although small, how it fits into um, the development of russian music since the 1990s and kind of how how you've been com- memorialized in that sense if that makes any sense do you follow that at all uh, well not really uh, well yes and no because i know for example
1: like i know that it it put a it it left an imprint in a you know whole generation yeah. you know because we had the the sort of the massive advantage of not having youtube mm-hmm. and being played on the few mediums all yeah. the time. Yeah. So we were on the, on the radio, on t- television. Everybody watched that. Yes. So it was not as scattered,
0: mm-hmm. as fragmented. Stratified. And,
1: exactly. Yeah. So we had, the, so because of that, our imprint on a whole generation is pre- fairly deep. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so we, I still get emails and fan mail and stuff like that every once mm-hmm. in a while, which is kind of cool and weird because I've, I haven't been doing it for a long time, you know. So, Uh, But, but it's, 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 to me, it's really gratifying to know, look, I was sitting in my kitchen table, writing a song about love, you know, as, as, as imperfect the song was, and as immature as I was, somebody else resonated with it. Mm -hmm. And it's just, there's this sort of viral um, capacity quality to the music, Mm -hmm. you know, like I had people that like, people came up to me that were in the trenches in Chechnya and saying, before we would go on an attack, we would listen to our generation.
0: Wow. Like
1: when you hear something like that's that, it's
2: just it's
1: just so overwhelming, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I Absolutely. or like the, or to, to the sort of just more simple things, like this is the this is our love song yeah. with my wife, I mean, that's you know, that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, that's like what the, you make music for. Yeah, that's what it's for the, yeah. the imprint is for sure there. Yeah. But having said that, most of my peers, most of the people that I was buddies with, I'm still friends with, you know, have done album after, album after album after album after album and year after year, decade after decade have mm-hmm. produced. Mm-hmm. And I have not, Right. you know, like I, yeah, I just had, I was a supernova, you know, yeah, and yeah. then, and then that was yeah. it, you know, and they're still going. So that's, yeah. so they, they have a much more profound impact. Yeah. Um, all of my colleagues have yeah. had a, a much, I mean, immeasurably bigger impact on, on Russian music than I have. Right. I was just a, sort of a blip on the radar and in that moment it did leave an imprint I honestly don't think I left a massive I, I
0: like made a shift in, in, yeah, in, in Russian music yeah, Yes, like yes, but to, to be maybe slightly generous um, You know, the butterfly effect Or whatever version of right. it we want to yeah. say Is, you know, you, you do a small thing yeah. And you have all kinds of effects on other people That you might not Correct, even be aware yes. of And they might not even be aware of yeah, But it, yeah. does, it does affect that Yeah, so I
1: basically I Honestly, I do think that it was not massive I think it was just a massive In a very short period of time Which makes it just massive In a short period of time yeah. <laughs> That's it
2: I'm not afraid to
0: Somebody who's been so active in you know the business spheres and the culture spheres, right? Music between nations. Are you optimistic that um, that just the, the work, any any kind of communication can lead to um, an improvement of relations, kind of between between nations and between peoples? And are you optimistic, for example, about um, you know kind of U.S.-Russia relations and? Do you have any sense of where it's headed?
1: Well, I think
0: uh, I would say yes and no.
1: And I'll tell you why. The thing is, human relations are going to be human relations. Cultural, culturally, like you can't really tell people what to think and what to do. Right. Like I grew up in the Soviet Union where they tried and we would still listen to Voice of America on the radio. Yeah, And no one could stop us.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. You know what I'm saying? It's yes. just, it's, it's culture is. Culture is the beautiful thing. Culture has, has no boundaries and you can't stop it. Mm You can't control it. Yeah. So I think that's, I'm optimistic about that. Yeah. You know, that um, whatever happens in the world, not only the state side, but in general, absolutely influences what happens in Russia Mm -hmm. on a cultural level. And that sort of travels through sort of the, sort of the body of of the people permeates generations and stuff like that. And um, case in point is our music was that. Yeah. You know, it was it was it was a very specific type of, of sound and approach and rhythm that somehow took hold and mm. permeated right yes. to a degree. Yes. Um, on the but if you if you look at Russia-U.S. relations on, politically, mm-hmm. I am not optimistic about that because uh, because a friendly relationship with Russia is not helpful to the existing regime. Mm-hmm. It's not helpful because they uh, they rule through um, through fear, you know. Through and so if there's nothing, if there's no out, if, if there's no enemies surrounding us, quote unquote narrative, um, the 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 spotlight goes back to how are you governing, mm-hmm. and they don't want people questioning how they're governing mm-hmm. uh, because they don't govern well, right you know yeah so if they don't govern well this and they, they don't want that spotlight on how are you governing what they will do is they will create all kind all kind all kinds of narratives that basically yes. communicate we are surrounded by enemies yes. and no one cares about yes. us and everybody's yes, against so us that. and everybody's conspiring against yes, us which yes. is completely and utterly yeah not true I yeah. think in the grand scheme of things yes. it's obviously mutual spying and self-interest yeah. involved, but it's not really what's happening. Sure. Sure. So I think in that, from that standpoint, I, I'm not optimistic because I know how the system works. Mm-hmm. And I actually have people, friends of mine who are in the government who I speak to every on a regular basis, mm-hmm. you know? And um, yeah. that's not gonna change for the foreseeable future, <laughs> not for the next decade or two.
0: Well, I, I guess uh, I, to end on a slightly more positive note, I'm curious, you know, as somebody coming from Russia and around the world, what immediately struck you about Austin, our city, that really maybe surprised you or, or shocked you, or you just or you just liked a lot that you think might be interesting um, for our listeners to kind of-
1: Well, bet. let me count the ways. I mean, it's just the authentic friendliness is sort of in the culture. And that's just the most amazing thing on any level. Like people in the grocery store, when they say, how are you? They actually want to know, mm-hmm. which is remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Even within the US, that's remarkable. Yes. Especially coming from Russia. That's like non-existent, okay? <laughs> so so it's pretty cool. I mean, the, the the culture is amazing here. I love that. I love that you can, even on a business level or whatever other level, you can get coffee with anybody in Austin. Like if you want to get coffee with somebody who is would be considered out of reach in other mm, places, mm. that people are very accessible. Yeah. And I think that's just really healthy. Yeah. You know, especially considering there's the startup environment here in Austin is it's thriving and you need that kind of networking opportunities I, I, to I, be able to do well.
0: I, I totally agree just from kind of comparing my experience with yeah. Russia. You can
1: have access to people and people are friendly and it's just fantastic. It's a great town. I love the culture. I love that it's, it's, The best thing, it it sort of has this sweet spot between a small town and a big city, has enough culture and things happening and business things happening that it's exciting and it's still a small town sort of feel.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I love that. I love music, obviously the food is amazing. Yeah. Uh, It's just a great place. It's my favorite place for sure in America.
0: Wow. Well, that's a ringing endorsement. Yes. I think that's a yeah. good way. Please to, don't move here. Um, yes. is, is there anything else? Uh, <laughs> uh, is there anything else <laughs> you you wanted to talk about that we didn't touch on, or? Um, or not necessarily. Or? No, not necessarily. Like, I mean, this was this was yeah. very thorough. Thank you. Yeah. No, of course. I mean, we would love to have you um, back on um, at some point, and if you're not against it, we would actually, I would love to have you on in Russian, um, because we. Oh really? Do you ep- do something in yes, Russian? As yes. Yes. Well? We do episodes in Russian. Fantastic. Um, I, I don't know. You 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 brought up listening to Voice of America. Yes. We we actually had somebody from the BBC service who was active during the eighties. Uh, uh-huh. Seven Novgorodsev, if you. Oh yeah, I know. Heard, uh-huh. I know who that him, is. Yeah, but um, we. I actually interviewed him, and I've, uh-huh. I've had. I've done several Russian language episodes, and so I. I think we would love to have you on to, to do that. So. Yeah, I'll be happy um, to. Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope to see you again.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Views expressed on this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the show or the University of Texas. Please visit Slavexradio.com for more information. Thank you for listening. The Slavic Connection is produced by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you. Fourth generation, now we're doing a thing. We're top the charts, we're doing bad, and now we're doing again. We're breaking rules, we're finding we gotta power to fight. But only force will make it worse, We better show them на Мы MF3, MF3, мы пришли и новая доступка, новая музыка, новый стиль. И с нами наше поколение. Наши будем отрываться от Наши будем отрываться от Наши Энергия движения, мы новое течение, наше поколение. Наше, наше поколение, мы сила притяжения, and the ball is in the house. Наша энергия.